Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, with your permission, I'm going to lead you on a bit of a melancholy meditation today. But I promise it will have a happy ending. Every preacher of the gospel must be preaching good news, and I will. But I'm going to get there through kind of a melancholy route. All of us, every one of us, will die one day. When will it come? We don't know. The Bible says, oh, 70 years, 80 for those who are strong. And that remains pretty much the case. The average lifespan is between 70 and 80 in this country. All of us one day will die. We don't like to think about it very often, but we know in our bones that it's true. More to it, this futility extends to all of nature, to all of culture, even to the cosmos itself. Nature. Every insect, every animal, every plant fades away. Some insects live a matter of hours or days, some animals a few years, some for a long time, but all of them eventually fade away. Every tree, every plant, even the mighty mountains, given enough time, fade away. You know, last summer I was giving a retreat in South Dakota at a retreat house that was on the Great Plains, and you looked around it and you saw nothing but these sort of rolling plains covered with grass. Scientists tell us that that earth, that ground, was at one time the bottom of a mighty inland ocean. Back in the age of the dinosaurs, 65, 70 million years ago, there was a massive thousand-mile-wide inland sea over that part of North America. Now, there were no human beings then, but imagine if there were someone sitting by the edge of that mighty ocean 70 million years ago. That would have struck him as pretty permanent, that amazing, deep, wide, imposing ocean. Now, it's a distant memory. A few scientists speculate about its existence. Even the most permanent-seeming things in nature fade away. How about culture? All the artifacts of human accomplishment, they too, given enough time, fade away. Last year I was in Rome. I remember on this wonderful windy day, I walked through the Roman Forum and the dust was being kicked up around these ancient ruins. But if you went back 2,000, 2,200 years ago, everyone who was anyone wanted to be in that forum. Every lawyer, every politician, every writer, every critic. It was the center of the civilized world. All the best and brightest assembled there in the Forum of Rome. And to stand in that place 2,000 years ago, you would have felt, I am in the middle of the most powerful culture in the world, and you would have been right. 
And now, it's a few dusty ruins, and the tourists like me come and gawk at them on windy days. Even the finest achievements of our culture, in time, fade away. You know, it gets even more dramatic when you read the cosmologists and the astrophysicists today. They'll tell us that the cosmos itself, everything in the universe, eventually dies. They speculate, you know, that the whole cosmos began in a Big Bang, this massive explosion of energy, and the universe has been expanding outward ever since. But in time, all of it will fade away. Losing energy as it goes, or some speculate it might all come crashing back into one point, the big crunch, they call it. In either case, the whole cosmos will be destroyed. They say, you know, that the sun, our sun, so beneficent, the center of our solar system, all of life depending upon it, our vision depending upon it, but one day the sun will lose energy and it will expand and it will swallow up about half the planets in the solar system, including our own. Everything on this planet, everything that's ever lived or walked, any sign of any culture will one day be destroyed. Why am I leading you on this melancholy meditation? Well, I think this Advent season and these Advent readings compel us to look right on at the futility, ultimately, of all things in this world. If you're an existentialist philosopher, you might be tempted to say, in light of these facts, well, life is absurd. Life means nothing. It's pointless. The Bible, I would say, is just as realistic as any existentialist philosopher in acknowledging the futility of this world. But the Bible has a different point. Its conclusion is not, therefore, everything's absurd. Rather, its conclusion is, look higher. Look elsewhere. If you want to anchor your life, you want to ground your life in something permanent, look beyond anything in nature, beyond anything in this world, beyond any achievement of the culture, and look toward the steadfast love of God. Friends, sometimes we need a keen sense of the finitude and futility of the world in order to grasp that it's God's steadfast love that sustains us. Will it carry us beyond the confines of this world? Yes, that's the hope. The book of Revelation, in the letter of Peter, we find we anticipate a new heavens and a new earth. What God intends to do in His infinite love is to draw us, yes, beyond this world, which is fading away. Yes, indeed, and we should see it straight on. His love, though, will carry us beyond it to a world beyond our imaginings, a new heaven and a new earth. Listen to how our gospel reading emphasizes these themes. It's done in a kind of subtle way. 
We're reading now from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. In the fifteenth year of the rule of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was procurator of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, Philip, his brother, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Why this lengthy recitation of the names of great people? Well, it's a little bit of a joke that Luke is telling. Almost every text in the ancient world began this way, by invoking the mighty and the high and the powerful of this world. These are the movers and shakers. These are the people that you want to look to. If you wanted to, to attain anything in the world, it was this kind of person that you looked to. It's like saying, well, during the presidency of George W. Bush, when Donald Rumsfeld was defense secretary, when Francis George was cardinal of Chicago, when Richard Daly was mayor of, of Chicago, these are the people that you'd look to, the movers and shakers, the big players. And what's Luke saying? During that time when all these big shots were ruling the world, the word of God was spoken to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. I said it's a bit like a joke, and it is. Look how he sets us up. All the high and mighty people. If you would expect God to speak to anyone, it would be to Tiberius Caesar, to Pontius Pilate, to Annas or Caiaphas, these high priests. They're the ones you'd expect the Word of God to come to. But whom does it come to? None of them. Rather, it comes to John. Who's John? Well, it's John the Baptist, dressed in this camel hair outfit, eating locusts in the desert. A nobody, in no position of power, no position of authority. A man that no one would look to as one of the high and mighty of the world. More to it, living not in a palace like Tiberius Caesar or Pontius Pilate, living not in splendid Homes like Annas and Caiaphas. But living in the desert, outside with the wild animals, amidst the sand and the stones. And he's the one to whom the word of God comes. What's the point? It's the point I've been making. God, God's steadfast love, that's the power we must rely on. And not any of the powers of the world. Not, listen, that they're bad in themselves. But in the measure that we rely on them as the ultimate sustaining power in our lives, they are misleading. No, in the simplicity and poverty of the desert. That's where we find the power that we have to rely on, which is God's steadfast love. Don't look to the high and mighty. Look to John. Look to the one in the desert. Friends, what's being urged here is a radical reorientation of our lives. 
Not a minor adjustment. A radical reorientation. When Jesus talks about conversion, about metanoia, that's what he means. He means get your life on the beam of God's steadfast love. And it's not going to look like the powers of the world. It's not going to look like the things that people normally aspire to. It will look like this simple dedication of one's life to the things of God. Let me close with this. Once we make this move, once we realize the futility of all things ultimately, of nature, of culture, of the cosmos, once in the desert we orient our lives to God, will we be able to appreciate the world properly? Yes. That's the paradox and that's the good news. Does this mean that I just look down at the world? I just eschew all of culture? No, on the contrary. Now that I've seen what really matters, now that I've rooted myself in what doesn't pass away, now I can appreciate nature, the culture, the cosmos, for what they are. Now, as I'm not leaning with my whole life on them, depending on them, now I can appreciate them for what they are. That's why in the great Catholic tradition, it's the saints above all who appreciate nature. Look at Francis. The saints above all who can appreciate the accomplishments of culture. Look at a Thomas Aquinas. And so it's good for us during Advent to reflect upon and to realize the futility of all things that we might be led to a reliance upon God. And then, in the light of that realization, we can see how beautiful things are. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.